Hey, hey, podcast pals, support for today's House of Carbs comes from Hotel Tonight, an awesome app for finding and booking great deals at great hotels. No crashing on an air mattress in your childhood bedroom this year, my pals. Instead, lock down your holiday plans with Hotel Tonight. Book a room up to seven days in advance everywhere and up to 100 days in advance in certain major cities. Or you can just wait until the last minute if that is more your speed. You can make a break for it when your Uncle Tony starts talking politics. Whether you need a room for tonight, the holidays, or beyond, you definitely want to download the Hotel Tonight app. All right, my podcast pals, my hungry homies, my taste buds, we have done it. Welcome back to another edition of How Oh Call, part of the Ringer Podcast Network. This is, as you know, my hungry homies, a food podcast for the hungry people. By the hungry people, I am your hungry host, Joe House. Very, very happy today, my podcast pals, to have on the show with us Andrew Steinthal and Chris Stang, the two gentlemen behind the brilliant website, newsletter, mobile app, Instagram network known as The Infatuation. You may have seen their handiwork by way of their fantastic hashtag, hashtag E-E-E-E-E-A-T-S, something like that. It's five E's, hashtag E's. The infatuation gives you a curated experience in a number of cities across these United States and worldwide for uh, restaurants that they have sampled on an independent, anonymous basis, they and their staff of writers very, very good. Can't recommend it enough. We have a great chat with Chris and Andrew. And of course, we have for food news, the great Juliet Littman. Juliet joins us in that conversation with Andrew and, and Chris as well. We had to have Juliet for the whole show today. Let's get in that belly today with Andrew and Chris from The Infatuation. we have a handful of rules here at House of Carbs. One of our rules is when you, the hungry people, hit us up on all the social media, we get hits on the Instagram, we get hits on the Twitter, telling us, yo, House of Carbs, you need to have X on that show. We need to hear these great people on your show. We listen. We listen here at House of Carbs. We're here for the hungry people. On the line today, we are very pleased to have the founders of a website, newsletter, mobile app, Instagram network, test message, I barely got it out, text message recommendation service, the infatuation.com is where it's at. We have on the line with us today, Chris Stang and Andrew Steinthal. Fellas, welcome to House of Cars. Well, what's up? What's up? <laughs> So, That's my favorite part of the show. <laughs> well, look, 
We're going to try. and we, This is a four-way. I insisted that Juliet join on uh, here today because Juliet has been an avid subscriber to the Infatuation.com platform, and she strongly endorsed the idea of having you guys on. Um, and so she, I said, well, let, in that event, you, you must participate in this conversation with Chris and Andrew. Let's start with this. We need to get uh, independent voices for each of you out there so the hungry people know who the hell is talking. So Chris, let's start with you first. Now, both of you guys, this isn't pretty incredible. Maybe it's not coincidental at all. Uh, record company backgrounds. Chris, you at Atlantic Records worked with some big names. Tell the hungry people about the big names you worked with before starting this website. Sure. Yeah. So I was uh, VP of marketing at Atlantic Records for a very long time and during uh, the process of building the infatuation. And uh, I was lucky enough to work with a bunch of great artists, including Bruno Mars and Coldplay and um, Leaky Lee, Skrillex. Uh, young, a young man by the name of Cody Simpson. Ooh, uh, I did it all. Yeah. <laughs> all right. So Andrew, you also have a music background, slightly different angle. Tell the hungry people about what you were doing in music with Warner Brother Records. Yeah, I was the VP of PR at Warner Brothers Records uh, before before moving full time to do Infatuation. But I, I kind of bounced around. Had a bunch of different jobs, eventually landing in Warner Music Group and graduating to WBR proper. Was there for like eight years, um, but I worked with great bands like Tegan and Sarah. I worked REM's last record, which was really fun, and overall, it was just a really, really great experience. I also worked a lot of bands that nobody's ever heard of before, which made me have to develop a skill set to you know, make people like me or at least want to talk to me when I was pitching stuff that wasn't necessarily often. So probably a good skill set for what you're doing now with the infatuation. Um, let's talk about the uh, original concept between the infatuation and how we got from all the way back in 2009 to where we are today. Um, I'll let uh, Chris, why don't you sort of give us some background on, on how the infatuation came to be? Yeah, sure. I mean, look, it started with just us um, being out all the time. You know, when you work in the music business, you go to shows a lot, you take bands out to dinner a lot, you take clients out to dinner a lot. So Andrew and I were sort of like in our group of friends, uh, a couple of well-traveled people that knew New York City specifically and the restaurant scene very well. We were both really passionate about eating out and uh, having a corporate card doesn't uh, doesn't hurt when you have a passion that's expensive. So we ended up just like really becoming, especially in our group of friends, the knowledgeable people in our crew uh, about restaurants. And we found that like all the time, our friends were coming to us with questions that they weren't getting answered other places. Like, hey, I need to impress a date. Where should I take this person that'll make me look really cool? Or my mom's in town. You know, where should I take her? What are the new spots I need to know about? Uh, we just sort of found that like, you know, there was a there was a need for conversational, relatable, entertaining uh, recommendations that were based sort of first on situations uh, more so than they were. Like our friends weren't coming up to us and being like, hey, like wh who's the best chef that I can go check out this weekend? It was always, I'm going to be in this part of town. Here's who I'm going to be with. And this is the kind of vibe I'm looking for. And oh yeah, the food needs to be great. Um, so we just sort of started realizing that there was an opportunity to create something for people like us that 
Um, we're trying to navigate, you know, uh, a city's restaurant scene and certainly also believing that there's a lot of social capital and being knowledgeable about restaurants. Like, even if you're not like super, super into food, there's nobody out there that doesn't want to be knowledgeable about where to go and what the great places are. So we just got inspired to create something for ourselves and our friends and started writing restaurant reviews with absolutely no credentials to do so. Uh, and launched it in 2009 with just like four or five reviews that we wrote and sent it out to a bunch of people on our email list that we put together without their approval and kind of started building it. And it really like reacted really quickly. People, people sort of took to it right away. And then that sort of put Andrew and I into build it mode and kind of what you alluded to, we just started sort of applying all these skills that we had developed to building audience and fan bases for bands and kind of started to apply, you know, applied it to our little own, our own little band called the infatuation and building a, an audience around it. So, uh, but it was really just, we created it kind of cause we needed it and we thought other people would do. What were the first, uh, restaurants you reviewed? Oh, oh man. Uh, Yerba, Yerba Buena, Aputo, Gemma. There's yeah, a place Gemma. called Irving mill that closed like six weeks after we reviewed it. I think, <laughs> um, the first negative review we wrote was of a restaurant called Shang uh, that we gave like a, a 2.0 to, and it was absolute trash, and then it closed <laughs> not long after that. So That place uh, is really yeah. bad. It's interesting, yeah. though, not to hijack the conversation, but, you know, back to our roots, like, for me personally, like, one of the biggest inspirations into, into believing that there was an opportunity to do something like this was, was Simmons. Because I remember reading the sports guy and just like losing my mind because of finally somebody was talking about sports that I loved so much from the perspective of the fan and not just the perspective of the industry, you know, that like everybody else that sounds the same was doing it. And, you know, you don't have to kiss Bill's ass. You're, you're on the podcast. You're here. No, but it's <laughs> you made true, it. But you don't have true. to kiss his ass. But he's, been wait, he's been waiting to drop this story on you guys for like months. I know. I get what you're saying. It's finally relevant. <laughs> I, I tell it all the time in like meetings and stuff. And some people look at me and they're like, yeah. And then some people are like, what are you talking about? <laughs> Familiar with that feeling. But what was happening? Look, well, but, but what Andrew's getting at too really is that what was happening was that you know, this is like, you know, like we said, 2009, like Twitter was brand new when we started this thing, or at least it was just sort of coming into the public consciousness and, you know, people we knew were starting to like mess around with it. And what that started to then allow was then for there to be like new authorities that would pop up in different verticals, right? Because suddenly like the barrier of entry to start writing about something or, you know, sort of um, building up, you know, a, a persona around a passion like it became much, much easier as it became easier to create content and easier to network with people. Like we used Twitter in the early days of this, this website, or I guess then it was probably, you know, more so a blog, but we would use Twitter to search for people that were like talking about, you know, cool restaurants in New York, like Momofuku or whatever it might be. And then we would follow them and start this conversation with them and start to build community around our, around our brand. And that was like, it was really serendipitous that it happened that way because that Twitter was a great tool for us early on, uh, you know, and, and, and it just helped us build, build a community. And then, you know, Instagram came around and that was, you know, that plus food photos, which kind of blew us up in a different way. But I'm glad you brought up food photos. Cause I think you guys use Instagram like more effectively than basically any media brand. 
Um, I love the infatuation LA story, and I, I, uh, it's like one of the only stories that I will watch all the way to the end, include my friends included. Um, and I'm just curious, like, how much of a, how much like an investment do you put, do you put into specifically like the visuals, not only on Instagram but like your brand in general, and like how much, how much has that changed since you guys started doing that in 2009? Well, if you look like. You know, first of all, in 2009, we launched this thing as Immaculate Infatuation, which was honestly like, I, we joke now that we were actually just trying to make sure people couldn't find us because it's like nine syllables and <laughs> nobody knows how to spell either of those words. But um, we, uh, yeah, I mean, look, we, we've always really cared a lot about brand building and about the fact that like building a great brand is all about the details. Uh, and so... Our brand has evolved a lot, but I think that it's always been very consistent. I mean, now we're just called The Infatuation, and we changed our logo fairly recently and changed our color scheme for the whole um, for the whole brand itself. And um, that, that trickles all the way down to everything we do, whether it's on Instagram or on the website or whatever it might be. Like, we try to make sure that everything's very well curated, that everything we do represents our brand ethos of being, like, very relatable and um, credible and trustworthy. Uh, and even like when you mentioned the, the Instagram stories, you know, if you look, we don't, we do these things called restaurant review ride-alongs where we sort of distilled the restaurant review down into an Instagram story. And we, we did that because we wanted people to understand our process. You know, we have a very, um, sort of strict process by which, you know, we review restaurants. We never take a free meal. We always pay for our own, uh, dinners and, you know, anything we do, we, we always book under aliases. Um, we try and do things like just so we have the same exact experience that the average diner would. And so Instagram stories became the best vehicle for us to do that because we realized we could sort of put a narrative together and take people along for the ride with us. Um, and that's been very successful. But if you look across all of our channels, that's the only thing we do on Instagram stories right now, uh, because we really want to stay committed to this thing that like we believe it's helping us tell the story of what we are and why we exist. And that the fact that there's more behind, there's more to it on Instagram and just food photos, right? Like every photo represents a meal that we had or an experience that we uh, want to tell the audience about. And um, that's, that's a great medium for us to do it. So everything we do, we were very, very, very strict about, um, you know, our certain brand guidelines, like our editorial is a very tightly managed process. Um, we, we really work very hard to have similar voice across all of our different cities and all of our different writers and, um, that's the kind of stuff that we think, you know, has made the brand what it is today and kind of the most important part of what we do. You won't see too much cr- crazy food porn on infatuation Instagram channels. That's for damn sure. I appreciate you will that. find places to eat a great bowl of pasta. <laughs> uh, food porn has its, its moments though. I will say I, I, I'm still, you know, sort of, uh, looking for some, some delicious, uh, unexpected food, um, photos out there. And there's a lot of different ways of getting at them. I'm interested in how you guys came up with the hashtag, uh, five E's eats. So, uh, and, and what that, um, the idea behind it and what you're, you're hoping to achieve through, through that, um, it's hashtag E E E E A T S. Did I get it right? You nailed it. 
Yeah. I like the way you said it better, actually. Phonetically spelling it out is a much more effective way to make the point, I think. Uh, <laughs> Look, I mean, it's an inside joke. It was, it, was, it was just being dumb and stupid. Everything we've ever kind of done has been us just going with names or things or ideas that we find ourselves to be entertaining. And we, we, there's really not much to it other than when Instagram launched, it was clear that we could potentially have a lot of success on this platform if we manipulated it accordingly. And, and one of the things we did before a lot of other people figured out to do that was to create our own branded hashtag that was our hashtag. It started out that we would like, we had a couple things that we did like hashtag handful of eats and hashtag still summer, even though it was September. Uh, and we like would get on Instagram and be like, okay, people show us your best uh, lobster roll pictures in September and tag it was still summer. And then we gradually see people compete and then we'd repost their photos if they were really good and realizing that, Oh shit, we should probably just have our own hashtag that represents us so that we don't have to keep switching them all the time. And so eats is what we uh, landed on with five E's. And to that, to that end with the five E's, there was a little more than, I mean, it's certainly ridiculous and we like that about it, but there was a little more purpose to it in the sense that one of the things that we really wanted to do and we've always wanted to do, regardless of the format, is to like to just make people stop taking all this stuff so seriously, right? Like we we were always just like turned off by this idea that like posting a food photo or like talking about a restaurant can't be fun and funny and like a little ridiculous sometimes. So like, what's more ridiculous than getting a bunch of people to tag their photos with e? And it worked, right? Like it was funny because when it what happens, we 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 launched it and it immediately blew up. And like all of a sudden, all these people were using it. We had no idea why or who they were, what was going on. But what we kind of figured out was that it was really just like another sort of validation of our point of view, which was that like this stuff should be fun and relatable. And like you could, you should be able to put eats with five E's on any food photo and be proud of it and not overthink it. And it shouldn't be this like, you know, sort of like top down, you know, super serious thing. So yeah. And now we have now. the key was trying to appeal to like the average person, right? So if Juliet Littman, you know, wouldn't be the type of person who would necessarily put her food photos on Instagram initially, we wanted her to feel like, oh, maybe that she could get down with the infatuation brand. And you know what? Maybe she's going to put that pizza on Instagram next time. And maybe she's going to hashtag it with eat. <laughs> maybe I will. If that's an invitation, I'll, I'll think about it. Um, oh, it's an open invitation. <laughs> I have, I still have, ni- I still have nightmares about that being the thing that we're best known for for the rest of our lives. And it's like somehow eats is going to end up on my tombstone. You could do worse. <laughs> okay. Well, we'll make sure. I'll do what I can for that not to happen. That's my pledge yeah. to you. Thank you. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. How do you guys decide when like you're ready for the next thing? Like I know DC is one of your more recent cities, and how do you like how have you decided? which cities are most ripe for the infatuation and then what's the process like of getting set up in a new city? Cause it's like, there's a certain amount of like infiltration that has to happen. I assume. Yeah, there is. I mean, a lot of it comes from the audience telling us what they want next. We get a lot of people asking us to pop up in their city and, and run an operation there. And um, DC is definitely one that we've been getting emails and, you know, Instagram messages and tweets and, everything else about for a really, really long time. Um, and we look at some analytics and things like that, but, um, there's also just an element of wanting to be in cities that are, um, having a moment when it comes to like the restaurant scene, or we think that there's just like a really good opportunity for us to go in and be a part of the 
a part of the conversation. Like LA was a great example of that. I mean, obviously we were going to launch in LA, but I think we launched there at a certain time when the restaurant theme was really, really blowing up. And now LA is one of the greatest food cities in the world. And certainly London is a similar thing. We launched in London in April and we just, we really saw an opportunity there and wanted to be a part of that city as the, as the scene, you know, evolves and as people become more interested in being a part of, you know, what's going on there. But uh, yeah, and then once we decide where we're going to launch, we usually start the process of looking for, you know, writers and editors in those markets. And that's, that can be a sort of long process because we're definitely looking for a certain person that can write in a certain voice and is also very knowledgeable about restaurants and kind of understands our point of view. Uh, and then typically we'll launch an Instagram uh, for that city before we publish any content uh, and start running an Instagram just to kind of get people familiar with the brand. And then, you know, along the way we'll hire someone and then spend a good, you know, as much as four to six months um, writing a bunch of restaurant reviews and guides so that when we flip the switch in that market, ideally there's like a lot of coverage. So if you open up our app or you use the restaurant finder on our website, it's got enough stuff in there so that you feel like, you know, we have, we have you covered when you're trying to make a decision about where to eat. So you guys have, uh, it looks to me like nine or 10 domestic, um, places plus London that are so-called infatuation cities. And then you have city guides that are uh, all international. What's kind of the distinguishing feature between an infatuation city and and a city guide? The amount of coverage. I mean, usually some some of the markets start with just a city guide. And then as we find that there's, you know, a good reaction there, we find a good writer there, we might spin it up into being a, uh, you know, a full-on infatuation city. I mean, you'll see us over the next year or so. Uh, turn a lot of those markets into full infatuation cities. And that usually also means there's a full-time person in that market or someone that's working very regularly for us. Um, and we're producing, you know, individual restaurant reviews on a regular basis and individual guides on a regular basis. So um, the guides, you know, the individual, the sort of city guides just let us get into a market, have some basic coverage there. So that if you're someone that lives in one of our cities and, you know, uses the infatuation a lot, if you're going to go travel to Mexico City or to, Paris or to, um, you know, Hong Kong, then at least we have some information for you. Uh, so you'll see a lot more of both, quite frankly, over the next year, which we're excited about. What are your most popular lists? Like, I I, I like the one that's um, for booking. I, I think you guys have like a whole guide for it now. But when you did the where to book a reservation for your boss, like, I thought that was really funny. I'm just curious, like, what, what historically have been the most popular for you? Uh, the birthday, like, where to have your birthday dinner mm. is one of the biggest ones by bar in every single city birthday um, dinner should be banned though happy hour guys don't you think i know they're the worst yeah, well, that was kind of why we i think that's why i think that guy does well is everybody's like rolling their eyes just like oh fuck i have to we'll plan this thing and then you know <laughs> hopefully we can help them find something that's not terrible sure uh because basically you're gonna you're gonna spend 150 dollars at someone who you don't even really like that much as a birthday dinner either way so uh hopefully we can help you find a decent place for it but yeah that one is huge um Anything, as much as we love to write about restaurants, all people seem to want to do is drink. So any bar guide or like happy hour guide that we have does really well. Uh, Generally, our like new new restaurant list, the hit list and the greatest hits both do really well, which are obviously like the new stuff and all the all-time stuff. We do one that's been really great that actually we sourced from data we were seeing in our text messaging platform, which you hinted at a little bit when you introduced us so effectively, but uh, we have a platform in New York and LA right now where you can text us 
and real people will respond back with restaurant recommendations based on your request. Can you explain and, how that um, works? One, like, what do you mean real people? Like, is it like someone's like waiting for a text? <laughs> yeah, we have like real human beings that we have to give food and water to that uh, <laughs> are sitting around waiting for waiting for you to text them and challenge them on their restaurant knowledge. Even like at 3 a.m.? Uh, yeah, that's that. No, we operate it within a certain set of hours oh, okay. just so that we can actually do it. <laughs> 8 a, 8.30 a.m. to 11 p.m. in your local market. That's late, uh, though. That's cool. Have, yeah, it's awesome. And it's, like, one of the greatest things we do. We really, like, first of all, you would your mind would be blown when if we were to tell you all the things that people tell you about themselves when they're texting this thing. Like, we've had people help. We've had, been asked to find restaurants to propose in, to break up with people in. There was a girl who apparently oh. found out her... Some girl actually apparently found out that her boyfriend was sleeping with her little sister <gasps> and wanted a restaurant oh, no. to confront him in. Oh my god! And then we found out a couple of days, and then we found out a couple of days later that apparently some arrest was involved. Oh it's god! Wild. Wow. But beyond that, beyond that, we get great data about what people are looking for uh, because they'll you'll see trends emerge where people just start to ask the same thing over and over again. Uh, and they'll use certain words to do that. And one of the things, one of our best and most popular guides now is a guide that is called, uh, you know, somewhere around the neighborhood of like 17 super cute, affordable places where you can go catch up with some friends. And that only came from the fact that people were using those words over and over again in our texting platform. And our, edit, our editor-in-chief, Hillary, was like, you know what, screw it. I'm just going to write this guide to the super cute places that you can go catch up with some friends in. And people love it. It's crazy. That's So, yeah, that's a... That whole texting platform is a wild social experiment that we could probably do a whole separate podcast on. (laughs) (laughs) How often are you guys finding in the cities um, that your reviewers are doing negative reviews? Um, It depends. Like, we don't go out looking for them, but it definitely happens. Um, Our whole thing is just we want to be honest and we want to sort of have the same conversation that you might if you went to a terrible restaurant and... Whenever we do write a negative review, we make sure to go back uh, several times just to make sure that, like, we didn't catch a catch a bad night or something like that. But um, it, it's not. It's actually, if you go look at you know any any market in particular, you'll find far, far, far fewer negative reviews than you will positive. Yeah, it, it, at least in DC, it feels like you might go to a place where, um, in its early days, it's acquired a certain reputation, and then maybe the experience doesn't live up to that reputation. But it doesn't deserve kind of a bad review. The the challenge I find, at least here uh, in DC, is trying to get around to all of the places that have cultivated a very good reputation, and then trying to kind of separate my own, you know, come up with my own point of view on it uh it seems like you'd have to really go out of your way to find a place that would deserve a a a bad review yeah it does that's why it doesn't happen all that much you know like um we and also like there look there are plenty of places we could go review that we know would be bad like there's not it's not hard to find bad restaurants but that's not certainly not what we're looking for you know so i think i think our biggest thing is like if we can you know especially with like our hit list which andrew mentioned that is one of our most popular things like that's our new restaurant list. But the way we differentiate our list versus the other people out there that, that produce that a list of like best new restaurants, you know, on a regular basis is we actually make sure to go to these places before we put them on our hit list. So, cause like a lot of these other sort of publications will, you know, based on a press release or something like that, that they get, they'll put something on their like hot new restaurant list without ever actually having been there. And 
we had always had that experience where we would read about some new place in a new city because it, you know, will show up on three or four different websites lists. And then you go and you, you end up kind of bummed out because like maybe nobody really decided, sussed out whether or not that restaurant was going to be good or not. Or maybe it's just so early that it's hard to tell if it's going to be a good restaurant and they need more time. So we just try to be really smart about like having the experiences that you would have and then trying to do our best to communicate what we think about these places in an honest and like conversational way. So, so you feel like you relate to it, but there's, there's definitely no headhunting on our, on our, on our end where we're trying to go find places to write negative reviews for. Have you heard um, from any angry chefs or restaurant, restaurant owners? I was going to say restaurateurs, but I'm not sure I said it right. <laughs> oh yeah. What's the, you there are a lot of yeah. people that hate us. Don't name names, but like, what's the craziest, like angry, like message you've gotten? Dan got death threats for sure via multiple channels. <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> Incredible. Like, I had a restaurant. Oh, well, no, this, this is crazy. I had a restaurant that I was in. I, went, I grew up in Colorado. So I was home, like, hiking with my family. I just published a review the day before or two days before, like, a 2.5. And, like, I definitely peed off on this place because it was – I had, like, three meals there that were ab- absurdly bad, like, comically bad. And they were just, like, mean. The service was terrible. And then I was literally like, my Instagram started blowing up and some guy was like commenting on all my random pictures, just being like, just telling me like what a huge asshole I was and how I like ruined some chef's life. And and I wasn't really paying attention to it. And then a couple of the other publications in town started like, I started getting like my RSS notifications going off and the, the, the restaurant closed the next day. Oh my God. Which was wild. Ooh. Shut them down. But I, you know, look, that's not on you. That's on them. Well, that's the thing. It's a weird experience. But like, I kind of felt like, and I actually had other people reach out that were like, look, if they close that restaurant based on your review, there was a lot of other things going on. Right. right? Like there's no reason that anyone should. So that, but that was weird. Right. It was a strange experience. And like, it doesn't feel good. You don't want to like, you know, we were not here to like, you know, put restaurants out of business, but (laughs) And Andrew, I mean, Andrew got one of the earliest negative things we got from a chef is this like barbecue chef in, in New York that lit Andrew up <laughs> over a review and asked him like if he oh, ever it was like, bar- barbecue school. <laughs> and it was it was sent from a, oh man that was amazing. There's also one I live I lived in the East Village for a long time and there was a local spot that a lot of people really liked in the East Village that I did not. And they were not very happy and for like four years would trail me with random people and send emails and like do really weird things uh, as it pertained to this restaurant and how they did not like me. So, you know, <laughs> but that said, for all the bad, the terrible emails we've gotten from angry people, we've also, there have been like 10 times more amazing stories of people who have just like been so appreciative and thankful and, even people that like we've written, I've, we've had plenty of very, very well-known sort of chefs and personalities that, you know, we've given mediocre or even negative reviews to who, who have said to us, like, you know, thank you for at least contributing like a fresh voice to the, to the landscape. And, you know, I think that, that keeps us going. That's nice to hear. So, um, I want to end this with you guys explaining the food festival eats con. When did it start? <laughs> when is it this year? And where's my invitation? Those are the important things I want to get out on the table. Well, you're definitely getting a panel this year for sure. Yeah. <laughs> House of Carbs, the panel. Yeah, we need to do that. That'd be great. 
Uh, EastCon, the first EastCon was uh, May 20th of this year in Santa Monica. And oh. uh, it's basically like, look, we have been, you know, having been in the music business for as long as we were. And also, you know, we've been curating the food at music festivals like Governor's Ball for a long time. You know, we just kept seeing people from our audience, like young people who were just as excited about some of the restaurants at these festivals as they were some of the bands. Uh, and then also us just starting to think about like for our audience who tend to be young and very savvy on social media and wanting to connect with like-minded individuals, like those people aren't going to the New York City Food and Wine Festival. They're just not, you know. So we wanted to create a food festival that felt a little bit more like a music festival, but where the restaurants were the headliners. Um, and we wanted there to be, to Andrew's point, programming. And we wanted a place for people to kind of like be able to come and network with other people like imagine that you're someone who's interested in getting into you know food as a profession but you're not a chef right so you're not going to like open a restaurant or go to culinary school like where would you go to meet other people like that where would you go to meet someone who's the marketing director at Shake Shack and hear about how that person became who he or she is or where could you meet someone who you know started um you know some sort of like you know other media publication and we're talking about like their their story. So we wanted to put all those things together. We wanted to have a bunch of great restaurants. We wanted to have a bunch of great programming. Uh, we had some bands play because obviously um, we were going to do that. But um, just really kind of wanted to create like a next generation food festival for our audience. Uh, and that's what it turned out to be. It was great. We sold it out and it was uh, we rented out a giant airplane hangar in Santa Monica on the Santa Monica Air, uh, airport and filled it with food and people. And it was awesome. So it's coming for you next year. Uh, we have not yes. announced the date yet, but assume assume it will be about the same time in the same place. They'll definitely be back at the Barker Hangar in Santa Monica. Uh, and then we will be doing New York, though we have not announced the date or the location yet. Um, and a couple other markets will happen in 2019 as well. So we're growing the EatsCon Festival and taking it to the people around the world. I attended house, just so you know. Oh, you attended? Yeah. It was great. Uh, I didn't even know. Two thumbs up, obviously. <laughs> well, you all, we, we hope you will all be there uh, at, at least at the L.A. one, if not New York. And we'll try and pop a D.C. one up for you soon, too. Yeah, so I just invited myself to the L.A. one, and I'm definitely inviting myself to the great. New York one as well. Andrew and Chris, Infatuation.com, hungry people. You can catch them at via the website, the newsletter, the mobile app, the Instagram network, and TextRex. That's the name of the text service, right? Yeah. Yeah. So text sexy. That's some, some weird stuff. Thank you guys so much for coming on. We uh, look forward to having you on again as infatuation continues to conquer the food world. Sounds great. We're in. Thank you guys. Thanks, guys. All right. Big thanks to Andrew and Chris from the infatuation, Juliet. That was an awesome chat with those boys. It, it really was. And it, it is a very great, useful website. I recommend it. Infatuation.com. Yeah. Well, thank you for being along for the ride. We have a lot of food news to get to. But first, we have a couple words from some um, very important sponsors of ours. My Hungry Homie is a quick word from our good friends at Spice Islands. When you are cooking meals for the family... This holiday season, be sure to opt for premium spices from Spice Islands. 
By sun-drying many of their spices and de-stemming their chili peppers by hand, Spice Islands uses a craft approach to deliver the most authentic and intense flavor possible. They maintain a strict standard for each item to ensure consistency, quality, and flavor, and they take extra steps to ensure the richness of their flavors, like cryogenically freezing their cumin to preserve its oils or milling their garlic to a true powder so it does not add any grittiness to your dishes. So, whether you're looking for flavor adventure or simply better tasting meals, my friends, fill your pantry with Spice Islands and taste the difference in every bottle. Visit spiceislands.com slash house for more spice facts and delicious recipes, including one, this is perfect for the season, my friends, spiced maple carrots, a quick, simple side to complement any holiday meal. That's spiceislands.com slash house, H-O-U-S-E, and pick up Spice Island Spices in the premium spice section of your local retailers. Podcast Pals, also a quick word from our friends at Touch Bistro. Do you own a restaurant? If you do, you probably want to find a way to make more money. Well, that's where Touch Bistro, an iPad-based point-of-sale rated as the number one best restaurant POS for three years in a row, comes in. Touch Bistro has been proven to speed up service, turn more tables, and let you serve more customers so you can make more cash for your business. Because of its mobility, service servers are not running back and forth. Every order is sent directly from the iPad to your kitchen and bar, meaning your servers can spend more time chatting with your customers and getting them to order all those extras with their meals. I'm the perfect candidate for this. I can be talked into all the extras with all those meals. Friends, if you become a Paying Touch Bistro customer by December the 31st, they're going to send you a $300 Visa gift card. Just go to touchbistro.com slash carbs to find out more. That's touchbistro.com, C-A-R-B-S, touchbistro slash carbs, the point of sale that helps restaurants succeed. All right, my taste buds, my hungry homies, as we do every week here on House of Carbs, it is now time for food news. Juliet, you didn't have to go far. We just finished up with the Infatuation Boys, and now we got some very tasty stories to jump into. Juliet Littman, what's happening? Thanksgiving. It's coming up. Oh, my God. It's the best. My number one favorite. My number one favorite holiday. I guess I just, that will come as no surprise whatsoever. No, no surprise to me. Although... I'm not sure I agree, but I understand why you love it. It's really on brand for Joe House. On on brand for Joe House. It's true. It is. It's the most on brand for me. Uh, we're gonna do some Thanksgiving talk next week, right? Yeah, we're. Re- I'm very fired up for it. All right. We're gonna do some Thanksgiving sides. Me, you, and Mallory. We're getting the 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 debate crew back. We need to come up with some catchy name for 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 our little debate crew. Food fight. Food fight. God damn it! See, this is why nailed it. Okay. How good is that? Right away, we're having another food fight here on House of Carbs. Thanksgiving sides, hungry people. I mean, there's a, there's a very obvious answer. I'll save it for next week. <laughs> Just save it. Save it. 
I mean, people were upset. I, there was a lo- some people were mad at me about candy corn. I don't know why. Some people were mad about Butterfingers. Really, people were mad about Butterfingers. Did you see? I got a tweet. Maybe you were on it as well. That you can get Butterfinger in a cup, like in in the same form and shape as a as a um, as a peanut butter cup, as a Reese's. I didn't know that. Interesting. I, I, I that would that might be worth seeking out. Yeah, I would eat that for I, sure. I would perhaps prefer that. Me too. Huh. Anyway. All right. Let me hit you with some news. Let's talk some news. Okay. First story of the day. There is a 100% organic fast food restaurant embarking on an expansion, and it is called Grown. Like, grown and sexy, but just grown. I, I just want to say I think that's a bad name. But here's the story coming to us from Bon Appetit. After almost a decade of research and planning, in July 2016, the first first grown location opened in Miami, and it was a 100% USDA-certified organic fast food restaurant, complete with a living wall, educational games on iPads, a drive-thru, and an urban farm on the roof. Though, because it's not certified organic, its bounty is not used in the restaurant. So, okay. My... you, yeah. you, you were, please respond to all the information I've just given you. <laughs> well, here's the very first thing, and I hate to be an idiot right out, right, right, right out of the box, but I think people know quite well that I'm an idiot. No. Remind me again, what is a living wall? I, I think it's like it's um, made, it's like made of plants. It's like has all. <laughs> it's like filled <laughs> with succulents, basically, and so oh. yeah. Well, I like succulent wall. I'm into. Yeah, of Maybe course. Maybe that seems like it's it might nice. have a that wall might have a branding problem. Call it the succulent wall. Sure. Yeah. So you can grow in in little micro pots, little spices and herbs. Is that the idea? Yeah, it's basically um, plants that are grown like in panels and they grow vertically, and so then it, they can it's atta- it's attached to like a structure that gives it that height, but then it's like a vertical garden kind of thing. Okay. Well, I'm still I'm still voting. I want it to be called succulent wall. I like that better. All right. Uh, noted. I agree. And also, I think more on trend. I just want to say that this first batch of information, not enticing to me. I, I think that having the farm on the roof that you can't use is um, stupid. <laughs> like, what's the point? It's just like... It's, it's a little like, precious, right? It's, it's literally just for show. And I'm just like, are you yeah. serious? And I don't think I want to go to a fast food restaurant with educational games on iPads. Like, I just want to eat. And if I have kids with me, let me entertain them other way, other ways. I don't know. I'm not. I'm not sure I'm into it. But well, here's the thing. Yes. Uh, what was going on in this? It says almost a decade, so just shy of ten years. What's been going on in this research and planning that took ten years? It's a really a great, a great question. I do not know. Um, but once they finally did it, it opened in Miami. And then they opened a few more locations in just 16 months. They opened in at Wesleyan University in Connecticut, which is just completely rich. Like that's just, that's just totally on brand. Totally. There's three outlets in Miami sports stadiums. And now there's a new location near Orlando attached to none other than a Walmart. So that one's okay. interesting to me because yeah. I'm like, oh, Orlando, like the home of the theme park. So this is kind of like a theme restaurant. Sure. Fast food restaurant. But the Walmart, it's a little bit of a twist. So the interesting thing as the story goes on and w- what makes the Walmart angle particularly compelling is the price point for this restaurant. Yes. The price point is around $17 for a meal that would include, um, for example, grilled wild-caught salmon with roasted garlic Brussels sprouts, sweet potato mash, and salsa verde. So like, it's a full meal, but it's $17, and that's a lot for fast food. 
Yeah, it, it takes it kind of out of the realm of fast food. So the, the hard thing there is the premium that you are getting folks to agree to pay for this sort of certified organic. And it seems like it's a pretty, you know, uh, it, you have to be very on point with your target demo. Like yes. you're not rolling. Hey. So which is this this idea of it or in Orlando at the Walmart. That that's a, that makes me say, hmm. Yeah. Like Wesley and like, yeah, ob- obvious expansion to the NESCAC. Why not conquer all those schools? But um, at a Walmart, which is known for particularly low prices and good deals, I don't know if those go together. Yeah, I mean, I would expect to see one of these in Aspen. I mean, basically every... All the fancy um, places. Resort place, you know? You could see one in all the resort towns. Telluride. I mean, I don't sure. need to go through Colorado uh, resort towns, ski towns. But I, I don't know... You're not likely to see one of these in, in the middle of Kansas, it doesn't feel like. I'm just not sure this is long-term viability because... Um, the owner said that for when they first opened, they spent 66, 60 cents on food for every dollar in sales, which is double the restaurant average. And even though soda has really high margins for restaurants, they don't sell soda. So they are committed to the quality and the health and the organic foods, but I just don't know if that makes for um, a viable restaurant. Yeah, I mean, if it's a small concept where they um, branch out and the and the brand is, you know, in like... 25 locations that are highly, highly targeted to a demo that can afford $17 fast food. Okay, sure. I'm good with that. Maybe. I, you know, I would, I I could see being into it um, under the right circumstances. I don't think I'm going to, I would seek it out. Same. I need to know more about the menu if I'm going to seek it out. And I want them to use those damn gardens, get them certified. Do you know? I don't, I don't want to get too deep into this because I, I didn't do enough preparation. But one day we should do a podcast, uh, a House of Carbs, about like what it means to be organic because it's kind of a racket. Oh, I, I didn't know that. Yeah. I had no idea. Is it that ha- right? It's like kind of like buying a certificate from the government. Oh. I mean, there, it is true like you don't use like certain pesticides, but like in some ways I think it's more important to uh, buy local than organic like in terms of like in, in, impact on the uh, – food and on the environment but that's for another podcast we'll get into it another day i like it okay next item um this one's exciting to me i don't know why <laughs> but this is a story that comes to us from food beast via the bro bible and here's the deal whiskey me is an alcoholic subscription service that allows you to try some of the world's best whiskeys without ever ever setting foot outside at $10 a month, 1.7 ounces of liquor is thrown into a pouch, not unlike Capri Sun, and shipped to your doorstep. The only major difference between the alcoholic pouches and the ones from our childhood is a twist off top. Looks like the days of penetrating those pouches with a flimsy straw are gone. This service is only available in the UK for the time being, but hopefully it'll come to the US. Um, this is a great idea. I liked a Capri Sun. I can't really imagine um, drinking whiskey with a straw, so I'm glad it's twist off. And I think this is great. I would sign up. It's a good gift. I think it's quite brilliant, and I think it's a it, it goes along very well with one of our uh, more compelling episodes here on House of Carbs, which was the the, the, the tailgating and the yes the 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 booze smuggling. Yes, I mean a nice soft. Uh, a vehicle like a Capri Sun kind of pouch, a malleable pouch. We've seen what the creative um, drinkers out there are capable of. 
This sounds like a, a perfect thing for for you know a nice a, a nice whiskey on a on a cold November you know uh, football day up in, up in Michigan or over here in Penn State one of these big you know mega deals. I'm all, I'm all in on this. I completely agree. Um, also, you, if it already looks like a Capri Sun, maybe you could just like change the packaging, like put a, like a sticker on it to further the Capri Sun look, and you wouldn't need them to hide it that much to snuggle it, to, to snuggle I, it, to smuggle I don't it. Know. <laughs> I, I think I think they uh, pat down folks at college football games, especially are are. I don't would know. Would be how onto s- it. I don't think they're letting you walk in with something. Just think about it, okay? But we got to get our hands on it to see if it's possible. That's the real. I story. like it. Let's. That's now. That now we're talking. We need to get one in hand so yeah. we can really assess the viability of this thing as a booze smuggling vehicle. Yeah, exactly. Okay, next. This is a big one. This sent the internet on fire. This is big. I, I literally because literally big. Hidden Valley, the dressing brand, sells a keg filled with ranch dressing. It's 10 inches tall and it holds five liters of ranch dressing and it flows out of the tap like fine wine. It's like buying one of those mini kegs of beer, but with ranch dressing. Yeah, so that's an 11 out of 10 idea. Very well done, Hidden Valley Mini Ranch. Uh, I mean, uh, ranch dressing. It's not. It's just a mini keg. Do you what? Do you have a ranking of of ranch dressings? Do you have brands that you are loyal to when it comes to the ranch dressing? I Julia? don't really. I know this is really controversial, but I'm more of a blue cheese girl. I'm sorry. Oh. You're allowed. It's and okay. I like ranch. I, I've very slowly had my standards eroded, so occasionally I'll dip a pizza crust in ranch, though that's <laughs> not really the pure way to eat pizza. But I just, given the option, I prefer blue cheese. So, you know, that's just where I stand. So, therefore, I'm not like a ranch connoisseur. Are you? I wouldn't call myself a ranch connoisseur. I do appreciate ranch, and I hold ranch and blue cheese um yeah, I, I hold them equal. They mm-hmm. are they are um, both w- wonderful for the the jobs that they serve and the purposes that they serve. I like them equally on things that people have um, strong opinions about. I like them equally, for instance, on chicken wings. I like them equally on pizza. Mm. I think blue cheese is a fine blue cheese in that in that dressing form as a dipping sauce is a okay on a nice slice of pepperoni pizza. The, the spice of the pepper, especially if it's like a nice, like, you know, robust pepperoni chunk kind of pizza on there. Sure. The ranch dressing is a nice cooling agent. It gives a little bit of a sweetness to cut the acidity of that of that pepperoni bite. So not afraid of of, of uh, blue cheese on pizza. Um, they obviously, you know, I wouldn't, I, I don't love ranch uh, on a cheeseburger. I do love blue cheese on a cheeseburger. But, you know, um, to me, I don't have a strong... They're, 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 they are each lovely in their own respective ways. Wow, what, you're so diplomatic. Well, I, they, they, they both have their, their, the attributes and qualities um, that belong to them, and they, they're, they're pretty distinct to me. I know that they get delivered in the same uh, you know, context, but they're, they're pretty different from each other. It's true. And um, the, the way we enjoy them. Yeah, also, I just think the blue cheese taste is much stronger. Like, if you're opting for blue cheese, like you're, it's like... Not just it's not just a dressing. It's a much much more. Pu- it's um, rich. Yeah. It's a it's a rich kind of experience yeah. most of the time. Agreed. Agreed. But this, I like Hidden Valley Ranch. I yeah, have had Hidden Valley Ranch. I stand by Hidden Valley Ranch. I think Hidden Valley Ranch. Listen to this. This is something that I've been known to do before. 
If you get the right size bag, it can't be the tiny bag. Cool Ranch Doritos. Take a, get, a, get yourself a bag of Cool Ranch Doritos, like the three-quarter size one. It doesn't have to be the big one because we're not pigs here. But get yourself like the three-quarter size bag of Cool Ranch Doritos. Open that sucker up. Get yourself a little Hidden Valley Ranch. Pour it directly into the bag, providing a nice, fresh, cool coating over your cold Cool Ranch Doritos and enjoy. Interesting. I got to try that. The house recommends. Okay, great. Yeah. Okie dokie. Next story. KFC. Uh, this was news a few weeks ago. They had a, on their Twitter account, they're only following 11 other people. Six guys named Herb, 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 and Herb, Herb like Herb Williams of the New York Knicks. Yes. And, and five. And other famous Herbs. And the five Spice Girls. So much like their secret formula, they were following 11 Herbs and Spices. So, um, this man who figured it out was at Edget22, and to reward his um, keen eye, they commissioned a painting of him on the back of the colonel from KFC. They sent it to him. It's like an oil painting, and it's truly hilarious, and that just shows what a good nature and smart marketing KFC has, because here we are talking about them. I'm mother-effing jealous of this gentleman. What, what is, what's his name? Um, I don't know his at, name. At Edjet22. At Edjet22. Kudos to you, sir. Kudos to you. The it's it's quite brilliant. You know, just all he did was make uh an observation that took, you know, a couple of one plus one equals two, but it was, you know, maybe it was multiplication, maybe it was four times four equals sixteen. It wasn't quite uh, you know, it took a little bit of, of brain power, but he had the good sense to go ahead and get at the the KFC people yeah. with this um Quite brilliant uh, observation. I like it. And he was rewarded for it. Indeed he was. Um, All right. One last item today. This is uh, a belly sourcing update. And thank you to at Diego Elmira on Instagram, who sent us a picture of what they have in the Dominican Republic, which is Taco Bell Supreme Fries. And these are fries with basically mm. like like nachos. It's like a, it's like what we were talking about. It has like some ground beef, looks like some cheese, some sour cream, and some tomatoes. And quite frankly, it looks delicious. I, I expressed skepticism, I think, when we were talking about this on our previous yes. show. And I'd like to retract any and all negative uh, observations or comments I may have made. Those look mother effing delicious. Yeah, I would eat they those They look right spectacular. Now. I'd yeah. Eat. Looks great. Well, so, the other thing is we learned from from all of our um, good belly sourcing pals, Canada, apparently, the Taco Bells in Canada have been serving crispy French fries for years and years and years. Now, I don't know if they've, they've offered up that same Supreme style is one of the Canadian, the offerings there in the Canada but, uh, you know, we'll have to ask. I'll have to have a Canadian on the House of Carbs and ask him. I had Malcolm Gladwell, but we did not get down to the Taco Bell uh, crispy French fries. That wasn't the level of discussion. Although we talked about McDonald's French fries. You would have thunk he might have volunteered something about the Taco Bell fries. But I, I am interested in in knowing if that uh, option is available because it's already the case. I've been having – Have you? Uh, when's the last time you were in Canada, Juliet? A long time, like 15 years ago. I'd like to go, Say, though. Me exactly. Let's do a trip. We need to go to Toronto. The people, the hungry people, have been tweeting at us, uh, and I know that Toronto is not the place to go for the poutine. But I, there, there are. I have been directed to a few establishments, the poutine establishments. Our good friend Skeets uh, at the Starters sure. ha- 
has been coming at us for a while. Like, get up to Toronto. Let's do some eating. Let's go to a Raptors game. Uh, Juliet, let's go on the road would, and do this. I would absolutely love to. That sounds great. I'd love to go to a Raptors game. I've heard Toronto is a great city. I would love to go. I'd love to test out all the food. I'd like to go to the restaurant where Blake Griffin got into the fight with the equipment manager and where Drake takes his, the cover photo for my favorite Drake album, Take Care. Um, And our boy, uh, Dave Chang, in his Last Meal on Earth, has a place in Toronto that's on that list. So we, we already have like, I think four or five places lined up. We got to get to the T dot, Julia. I would love to. I'll, I'll, I'll talk to the powers that be and we can green light this. I love it. I love it. All right. Well, well thanks, that's all, on that happy me. note. Yeah. On that happy note. Talk to you next week for Thanksgiving chatter. It's going to be really good. I'm excited. And I'm, I'm, I'm not afraid to admit I'm, a, I'm, I'm a little bit hungry. I know I said at the beginning, it's true. I'm I'm a, just thinking about this conversation about Thanksgiving sides as our, my wheels are turning. There are so many ways we can go with this. I'm very hungry and excited right now, Juliet. Thank you. Thank you, House. Talk to you next week. All right, podcast pals, there you go. Thank you so much for the listen to House of Cards. Part of the Rigor Podcast Network. My podcast pals, please keep up all the outstanding belly sourcing on our Instagram and Twitter at the House of Carbs. As mentioned, Juliet Littman, Mallory Rubin, we're getting the gang back together for another food fight. And this time we're taking on Thanksgiving sides. How about this, my pals? Hit us with your suggestion of Thanksgiving sides. What goes down in your hometown? At your dinner table for Thanksgiving, hit us with your side, something a little off the beaten path. We've obviously got the cranberry and the stuffing and the potatoes covered. Hit us something that's a little special in your hometown downtown. Hit us on the Instagram or on the Twitter. We might talk about this in our food fight this week. Pals, as always, make sure to give us a review on iTunes. Please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Next week's episode is going to be a humdinger. But in the meantime, my hungry pals, let's stay hungry out there. <laughs>